Amen. It's wonderful seeing everyone here this morning. What a week we had last week as we gathered to celebrate the resurrection of Christ. It was glorious. And then something really cool happened on Monday, too. What a, what a day that was. Is it okay for the preacher to say the Baylor Bears overwhelmed the other team? And is it okay if we gloated in it just a little bit? I think it is. So we're just excited about that. And here's what I'm asking you to do. So we have a card out in the foyer for the Baylor Bears and especially for uh, Scott Drew and to celebrate with Scott and Kelly and family. You know, every time Scott comes on television and speaks after a game, I find myself feeling so proud that this is my brother. This is, this is a brother in Christ who has done it right for 17 years. We've all known that he was a great coach who knew how to win games. He wins games every year after year after year, but he's done it right. And when I hear that culture of joy, you know, I think back to the children's song, Jesus first, yourself last, and what? You don't know it? Others in between. <laughs> the culture of joy. What a, what a great and marvelous example. And so I just think we ought to say, you know, congratulations. So what I want to ask you to do is out in the foyer, find that card. It's a huge card out there. I want you to sign it. And we're going to just drop that off with Scott and Kelly and be able to say to them, we love you and we appreciate you and, and we're proud of you not just for this national championship. That's a big, big deal. I mean, that's, that's rarefied atmosphere. But for 17 years of integrity and witness. Amen? Amen. It was great. It was great. All right. So this morning we're going to continue. I, what am I talking about continue? We're going to start. We're not going to continue. We're going to start working our way through the Gospel of John. It'll take us almost to Advent, but we're going to work through it chapter by chapter. And what a rich book of the Bible this is. If you knew Greek, some of you might, you would know that the Gospel of John is written in the simplest Greek in the New Testament. I mean, it's so simple that if you go to seminary, the very first place they turn you to start translating is in the Gospel of John. It's like elementary school level Greek. And yet, in many ways, it's the most profound of all the New Testament books. I think you've probably seen that. It's also as Christocentric as any book in the whole Bible. Jesus is elevated in the Gospel of John. Now, Jesus is all over the Bible. Even in the Old Testament, Jesus says that it all points to him. And throughout the New Testament, Jesus is Lord. That's the central theme. We all know that. But in John, in John uniquely, we are told that Jesus is the Savior, that he's our life. He is the bread of life. He is this well of living water. We go on and on. It's all about Jesus in the Gospel of John. In fact, the whole Gospel was written so that we might believe that Jesus is the Messiah of God. And so John is about Jesus. And that may, that, that may not seem like news to you, but it would if you stepped back and looked at it in the larger perspective. 
See, Christianity is all about Jesus. It's not about a principle. It's about Jesus the person. We sometimes say that Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship. And you know, I don't know that it's wrong to say it's a religion, but it's certainly right to say it is a relationship because it is that first and foremost. It's not a matter of what we do. It's a matter of the person with whom we relate, with whom we connect. That's everything. That's salvation, but it's also victory in every trial. It's also overcoming every obstacle. It's also leading you on to achieve the aspirations that God has placed in your heart. It all depends on the person, the person of Jesus and being related to Jesus. See, that's not true of other world religions. Modern Judaism, for example, it doesn't, it doesn't focus on Moses, though Moses is revered. But instead, modern Judaism comes out of traditions that have been passed on over the centuries that shape a way of life. Or Islam. Sometimes people think that Muhammad corresponds to Jesus. That is, Muhammad is to Islam what Jesus is to Christianity, but that's not true at all. Muhammad is a prophet, but the Quran is the center of the Muslim faith. The Quran, the Word of God as it's understood within that tradition. In the Eastern religions, you'll find it's not the teacher, it's the teaching that's crucial. So there's this famous statement in Buddhism. If you meet the Buddha, kill him. That surprises you, doesn't it? But it expresses in a graphic way that Buddhism is not about the Buddha. Enlightenment is not about the Buddha, about the person. It's about the Buddha's teaching. And so in all the religions of the world, there are various teachings, various practices, various ways of life, and they are meant to lead to a blessed life of one form or another. But it's only in Christianity that everything is rooted in a person. You don't have Christianity without Jesus. Oh, sure, we have the teachings of Christ, and we seek to learn and follow those teachings, but the teachings simply become a kind of on-ramp into a relationship. It's all about the person. And if you're going to deal with the troubles and problems and trials of life, you won't deal with them by figuring it out, learning biblical principles, and then practicing those. As good as that might be, that's not the key. That's not the heart of it. The heart of it is Jesus Christ, the person, knowing him, Letting him lead you day by day. Letting him fill your life. Remember last week, we talked about how when he's taken up into heaven, the last thing that we see of Jesus is his hands lifted up, pronouncing a blessing on his disciples. Well, as a matter of fact, it's Christ blessing us and filling us with his life. That's what, that's what takes us forward. We're going to see some of that in the passage we'll look at now in the Gospel of John. I want you to look in John chapter 1. We're going to start reading at verse 16, just three verses. Look what it says about our Lord Jesus Christ. It says, Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, 
has made him known. No one has ever seen God. At first, that doesn't even look true because even in the Bible, we see that people do catch sight of God. But the idea here isn't that no one has experience of God, that no one knows anything of God. That's not the point. The point is no one knows God in his essence. No one knows God completely. No one knows God in all his fullness and glory except one, one who is himself God, God in human flesh, the Son of God, the one and only who is close to the Father's heart. That's the thrust of the Greek here. In closest relationship, literally it says into the bosom. And it means to be close to the heart. It's a word that was used of a parent. Think of, think of a parent holding their child close to their heart. And so Jesus is intimately connected with the Father. So he is able to reveal God to us. Now, there are lots of religions in the world, lots of philosophies in the world, and there are truths in all of them. I think it's important for us to say that. As Christians, we don't deny truth wherever it comes from. And there are truths spoken in other religions. And when that is so, we give credit to that. That is true. We can certainly accept that. But here's what we believe based on the Scripture that whatever truths there may be elsewhere, the truth, the highest truth, the fullest truth is found in Jesus Christ. You might think of it this way. In the middle of the night, if there's a full moon, that moon lights up the landscape and you can make your way under the light of the moon. It glows so bright in the sky. It's impressive until the sun rises. And when the sun rises, the moon fades. And then you realize that whatever light the moon has is only a reflection of the sun. With Jesus and his birth, the sun has risen. So we acknowledge truth wherever truth is found. We don't say everything that non-Christians believe and say is false. Much of it is true. But all truth is God's truth, if it's true indeed. And Jesus Christ is the fullness of truth. And when the sun has risen, why should we look for guidance or help from the moon? Amen? Jesus Christ is the center of our faith. So no one has seen God, but there's one who is in closest relationship with the Father, and he's made this God known. Now, this is all possible because, as we said, the Son of God is God in human flesh. In fact, the fullness of God is in him. That's why he's full of grace and truth. The word fullness in Greek is pleroma. Paul uses that word in Colossians when he says that the fullness of the Godhead dwells in Jesus bodily. All of God is in the flesh of Christ. So, he is full of God, but also full of grace and truth. And the text we just read says, out of his fullness, we have all received what? Grace. We have all received grace. Actually, it says more than that. It says, we have all received grace in place of grace already received. That was the translation I read to you. What an awkward way of translating the Greek. 
Grace in place of grace already received. Most of your translations, if you're not using the NIV, will translate it something like grace upon grace. The old NIV translated it as through Christ we receive one blessing after another. Some of you might have another translation that renders it differently, grace for grace, lots of different ways. Whenever you see English translations of the Bible disagreeing among themselves, it's because you got something really interesting in the Greek. And here we do. What you have is grace, and grace, and in between, is an unexpected Greek preposition, auntie. And so it's grace, auntie, grace. Literally, it's grace in place of grace, or grace instead of grace. Now, what in the world does that mean? Grace instead of grace? It's that literal meaning of the text that has the NIV saying, grace in place of grace already received. Here's how you can think about it. Have you ever been to the beach? Most of you have, right? You go down to the Gulf. Linda and I used to live in the southeast, and so we would go to the Gulf, you know, Alabama, Florida shores, and those beaches are, are gorgeous. I mean, we're Texans. We love Texas. Texas is awesome in almost every way, but the beaches don't match up. I'm sorry. Not, not, not to the beaches of Alabama, Florida, the white sands. It's unbelievable. You walk out, and you look out on the water, and it seems, it seems infinite as far as you can see. It's this water of the Gulf, and the waves come in. One wave you see comes and crashes on the shore, and the water spreads out around your feet. And as it does, your feet start sinking into the sand. Then it begins to recede back into the Gulf. But before it completely leaves the shore, another wave crashes onto the shore, and it too comes up and surrounds you. And it goes, and another comes, and it goes, and another comes. One wave replaces the other. One wave in place of another. When John tells us that of the fullness of Christ, we have received grace in place of grace, he means Grace upon grace. He means one wave of grace after another. It's like this infinite sea of God's inexhaustible grace poured into our lives at the moment we need it. And then again, and then again, and then again. Never exhausted. That's what we have in the person of Jesus. We don't just live off principles. We live off the person of Christ who brings these blessings into our lives. Or as the old NIV, one blessing after the other. In the first service, one of the professors at Truett Seminary, Preben Vong, he's a New Testament scholar. He was here. And, and he texted me after the service, and he said, you know, you might say it's grace piled on grace. That's another way that you might put it. Grace piled on grace. So it's that that gets us through. Think about what you face, the goals you have, the challenges that are ahead of you. 
Think about the strength you need that's greater than the strength you have, the wisdom you need that's greater than wisdom you have. Think about, think about how maybe your family is stuck in conflict. There's so much conflict that it's now running cold as you can hardly even talk to each other. Think about all those things and realize that, that Jesus Christ, our Lord, Jesus Christ, the person, is ultimately the answer to that. And what, what you need is grace, grace that's available. What's required is that we come before Christ and receive from him his blessing and his help. See, what a lot of us do is what Martha did. Martha had Jesus come into her home, and it was a big social occasion. Martha wanted to make sure she got it right. And so she started working and working hard, and she was flitting here and there, trying to take care of everything. And of course, she's furious because there's her sister, Mary, sitting at the feet of Jesus, and the Scripture says, listening to the Lord's words. So Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to his word, and Martha's upset because there's so much to do. Martha's trying to fix everything, handle everything, do everything right. She's trying so hard to make everything right. I can't believe it was just that occasion. I think Martha was probably that kind of person. She just wanted things to be right. She was probably as hard on herself as she was on anyone else. The person who's that conscientious tends to be. But she didn't like what was going on with Mary, so she complains to the Lord. Lord, are you just going to allow my sister to sit there while I'm doing all the work? And Jesus says, Martha, you are so worried and so upset about so many things, but there are only a few things that are important. In fact, he says, just one. Mary has chosen the better part, and it won't be taken away from her. Let me ask you, who was in a better position that day to do the will of Jesus? Martha or Mary? Martha, who was trying so hard to do what was right, or Mary, who was sitting at his feet, able to hear his word? See, here's the thing. We sometimes get so preoccupied with the problems we think we have and the troubles we think we have, and we're trying to fix them, and we're looking for answers, who knows where. But the truth is, we need to come before Jesus at his feet and we need to hear his word and get clear on what the Lord wants and let the Lord strengthen us and guide us and provide for us. Wave after wave of grace will see us through. That's because there's no formula, not in real life. I mean, people can give you formulas. One thing that frustrates me, if you ever get on the internet, you see innumerable articles that will give you, you know, like five steps to, you know, perfect happiness in every circumstance. You know what I'm talking about? You just read through those. And it's like, it's not that easy. Life is complicated. But you see, Jesus takes us through it one moment at a time, one step at a time. I knew someone who used that very language. I got a call from Shreveport, Louisiana, when living in Baton Rouge, Shreveport, Louisiana, from a friend who said, Paul, I'd like to, you to see, go see a friend of mine. He's just accepted Jesus Christ, but he's hurting. His wife had abandoned him. He's from Sri Lanka. His name was Lakshman. He's from Sri Lanka. He doesn't have a lot of friends. He's alone. He's depressed. No doubt. No doubt he was depressed because his whole life seemed to be falling apart. He didn't know 
He didn't know what the next step was. He was a graduate student at LSU. I said, sure, I'd be glad to go see him. So I went to his apartment, knocked on the door, and he opened the door, his little, little tiny efficiency apartment. And I told him who I was. He said, well, come in. And he, he told me that it had been very, very painful what had happened to him, and he wasn't sure what was going to happen in his life. Everything seemed to fall apart. Nothing seemed to work. But he said, I, I've given my life to Jesus Christ. He is my Lord. And he said, I am clinging to him. I am clinging to him. He said, I am trusting Jesus for every breath I take, and I'm trusting him for every step I take. He said that several times. He said, I'm trusting him for every breath I take and every step. It wasn't I trust him one day at a time. I mean, he was down to every breath and every step because he had no hope apart from Christ. Well, what a story. What a story. I wish you could have seen the transformation in his life. It wasn't all at once. It was one step at a time. And as it is with all of us, Jesus goes to work, and sometimes he leads us in paths that we think, Lord, how could you be leading me this way? How could this be from you? It seems like a setback. It seems like trouble. But the Lord was leading Lakshman. He began to put his life back together. At first, it was just a matter of summoning the strength to go do his work at the university. He was a, a grad student, science researcher. He had to get to the lab, and he had to do his work. That wasn't easy to do when he was depressed. Some of you have been depressed. You know how hard that can be. He was trusting the Lord to help him to put one step in front of the other till he could get to the lab and would help him to concentrate so that he could do his work so that he could then go home and sleep and do it again. That's, that's what it was like, but that's not how it stayed. God began to put his life together. He ends up marrying a wonderful Christian woman. They had children together. His, his excellence in what he did won him a faculty position at the same university. He's a fabulous researcher. Eventually, he becomes vice chancellor at LSU. He retired just a few uh, years ago. But Lakshman got there not because God said, don't worry, Lakshman, here's the solution. And then mapped it out for him for five years. No, he, he realized he needed Jesus, the person, and he needed grace for the next breath and the next step. That's how it so often works. When Israel was going through the wilderness, God provided manna. Without the manna, they couldn't survive but he gave it one day at a time, and they had to go out and collect it one day at a time. You know, as we do these journals for the Bible study, the yellow journals, we're encouraging people to use those as part of their daily devotion. It corresponds with what we're studying in life groups and what I'm preaching on week by week. As we encourage you to do that, that in part is to encourage you to have that devotional time where you're sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening and learning and receiving from him. That's why we're doing it. You may have your own quiet time, something that you enjoy every day and the Lord's working in your life. And if that's the case, I applaud you for it and you should keep doing it. But if you don't have a regular quiet time, then I think I think these journals are a better approach than your approach. 
And you might consider, you might consider. Because see, you're, not, you're just not going to get anywhere if you come to church looking for the answer when the answer is a person and that person by his grace empowers you in a relationship. It's all about relationship. And so the Lord will lead you step by step and he will do it. He will do it. No ifs, ands, or buts. If you will turn to Christ, if you'll call out to Christ, he will lead you and he will not fail you. He may not do things exactly as you expect, but he will not fail you. If you will put your trust in Christ, the day will come when you'll look back and say, Jesus was faithful. That will happen. And he'll do it by waves of grace. You don't have to deserve anything. You don't have to deserve anything. One of the lowest points in my entire life, God spoke to me through a verse in Psalm 22. I have it on this huge framed piece in my office because I want everyone who comes in to derive hope from that verse like I derived hope from it. It says, for God has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. Neither has he hid his face from him. But when he called out, God heard. God has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. You come to God and he doesn't say, do you come to me with a sin like that? You come to me now? What about before? What about all that I've done for you? And look where you are. God does not despise or abhor the affliction of the one who's afflicted. When you cry out to him, he hears waves of grace, one after the other, after the other. If you don't have that relationship with Jesus Christ, you can this morning. You really can. All you have to do is from your heart tell Christ you want it. Ask for forgiveness. Ask him to fill you with new life, fill you with his Holy Spirit. And he'll do that. And it begins there. It's a process. It begins there. And you can do that. If you're a Christian, you already know Christ, but you face troubles, listen, it's at the feet of Jesus, day by day, praying, calling on him, trusting in him, feeding on his word. That's where the answers will come. I promise you, it will come. Jesus will not fail you. He will not. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending to us the Lord Jesus Christ who gave his life for us on Calvary but gives life still, and we thank you for that. Lord Jesus, we know you are present. We know you are present by the Spirit. You're present in power. We know that there is nothing you can't do. And Lord, we know that you can save us. We know that you can help us as we 
pass through difficult times, you can do it. And we pray that you would help us to simply trust, to listen, to obey. That's our prayer. That's our prayer. Amen.